0: Well, good morning, Abundant Life Church. How are you doing? Good to see all of you. I'm so glad you're here. So glad you're here. I'm excited because I have a very, very special announcement to make for you today. You know that we close out every year with our Care, Reach, Grow offering and how that kind of extends into the new year, so into January. And this year we had four initiatives that we were really pressing for. One of those being uh, caring for all the needs of people in our own church family throughout the course of a year, and then helping our campus in Vancouver to move into their permanent home, which they're going to be able to do in the next month or so, and then helping our team in Naples, Italy to get into the building that God is providing for them, and then to plant a second church in Ecuador, and so major, major things Therefore, we had the largest goal this year that we've ever had with Care We'd Grow, $250,000. And so, today we get to announce where we landed on that. So, are you ready for this? Yes. I, I need a drum roll. I need a drum roll from Justin over here. Okay, the grand total is $255,000, yeah. Isn't that awesome? I just think that is so cool. Isn't that great? Isn't that great? Turn to your neighbor, give him a high five. Okay, give somebody a high five. We give God all the glory for that, but you know, the Bible talks about how what God does for us, he does through us, and so we give him the glory, but it's just an honor to uh, be able to, to work with God and have God work through us to carry out his purposes. So way to go. I just think that is so exciting, and you guys are awesome. Now, today we are continuing our series in the life of Joseph, and we're in this series that we've called Messed Up, the Life of Joseph. Now, if you know anything about the story of Joseph, how many of you would agree that, that the whole thing is messed up? It's wackadoodle-doo. I mean, if you think your family is dysfunctional, then you haven't seen anything until you've seen this family. So we're going to continue with Joseph today. About, uh, oh, I don't know how many years ago, it was a long time ago when I was back at Kentucky Christian University working on my master's degree, one of my professors made a statement to us guys in the room who we were talking about church growth and leadership, and just kind of off of the cuff, he made this statement. He said, for some of you guys, if you're ever going to be in a growing church, then you need to just go and start your own church. And those words were just like, like pierced my heart and they really set in course our whole life for my wife and me. It just totally changed the direction of our life. And so what you have to know about Ann and me is we both love the sun okay? I mean the S-O-N, son. We love the S, I mean the S-U-N, (laughs) son. It is the third service, and I can only imagine what the next service is going to be like. And so what I mean is the S-U-N, son. We both love the S-O-N, son, but you you get the point. And so we wanted to, to move maybe like to Phoenix, Arizona to start a church. And so we actually, we went to Phoenix. We visited with an organization down there, and they took us all around, and they showed us where they wanted the church to be, and they said, we like you guys, we're excited about you coming, but don't burn any bridges behind you yet. And so I'm so glad that we took their advice because we never heard another word from them. We never heard another word. Didn't get a phone call. Didn't get an email. I don't even, actually don't even think they had email back then. And so we never got smoke signals or 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 nothing. Nothing. Never heard a word from them. And to be really honest, we were disappointed. We were really disappointed, and um, we knew we had been forgotten. We were just forgotten. But look where it led us. It led us here, and so now we're here. God is always working for your best, right? And so, so here we are. We've been in Portland now for 26 years and a half. But anyway, so in this story, Joseph, in this scene of his life, he has been, he's disappointed because he's been forgotten. And it's painful To be forgotten. And so let me retrace the story in case you're new to the story of Joseph or you're new here for the first time. Let me just quickly catch you up with where we've gone. I want to share some lessons and then we're going to jump right back into the story. Joseph was one of 12 brothers, and he was the youngest, and he was the favored of 12 brothers uh, to his father, Jacob. And Jacob favored Joseph because he was born to his favorite wife, Rachel, in his old age. And so he, he put Joseph's uh, favoritism on display, or he put his favoritism on display, by giving to Joseph this beautifully ornamented robe. Okay, remember Gucci? The word ornamented is Gucci in Hebrew, okay? And so, and so he gives to him this beautifully ornamented robe, and the brothers, they think, well, what is this all about? I mean, who are we? You know, chopped liver kind of a thing? And so they're, they're angry, they're upset, they're, they're getting jealous, there's resentment, there's bitterness, and all this stuff. And so one day, Jacob sends Joseph to see his brothers, and they see him coming from a distance, and the Scripture says they saw him, and they hated him. I mean, they hated him. Have you ever had somebody who hated you look at you? You know, and, and you, you see it in their eyes. They hated him, and it says that they couldn't speak a kind word to him. And so they plotted to kill him. They, they were actually going to kill their brother. Can you imagine killing your brother or your sister? Anybody ever? Hopefully nobody here has done that. But... Um, <laughs> I shot my sister with a BB gun when I was uh, younger, but I wasn't really angry, I was just mad at her. And it was stupid, it was dumb, it was dumb, and I got in big trouble for it. Where was I going with this? Oh, and so why would you, why would, you know, so so they they decided not to kill him, but they then decided to sell him. They were going to sell him. And so um, they, the, with this, these traveling band, uh, bands of merchants that come through here, let's just sell him off. So they sold him, and so now he takes a 30-day trip basically down to Egypt, where now he's on the slave auction, okay? And Potiphar, who is the leading military man in Egypt, now, can you imagine the power that this person has? He sees Joseph and he, he buys him, he purchases him to be a slave among many slaves in his household. Well, after some time goes by, not only has Potiphar noticed him, but also Potiphar's wife has noticed him, okay? And what she noticed was not that God gave him success in everything that he did, she noticed how well-built He was. He noticed that he was cut, this dude was ripped, and she's thinking he would make a great dancing with the stars partner. And so I want to get my hands on this boy, and I want to twirl him around a time or two. And so she comes on to Joseph very aggressively, I mean she's not, there's no innuendos, there's no hint. There's, there's no, like, winking or none of that stuff. I mean, in verse uh, chapter 39, verse 7 and 10, she just says, come to bed with me. Come to bed with me. And though she spoke to Joseph day after day, he refused to go to bed with her or even to be with her. And so Joseph wouldn't take the bait. And so one day, Joseph is by himself. And guess who comes along? Yeah, Potiphar. She comes along. She sees uh, Joey. And she, she said, this is my chance. And she goes after him. I mean, she goes after him. She, like, grabs him. And what does he do? Well, he does the only thing he could possibly do if he wanted to get out of that situation. And that was to run. And so he literally left his coat in her hands and left her in a trail of dust and she's yelling rape rape and screaming and pity for me and all this stuff and all this now if you can picture the story let's say probably an hour two hours three hours go by and Potiphar comes home how do you suppose Hotifer is going to frame the whole thing okay about this point in the message i need a female voice are there any aspiring females out there who like acting? Okay, I didn't think. I'm not going to let you volunteer anybody else. Do I see a hand back there? All right. All right. Okay, listen, I'm not a Boy Scout, but I know to be prepared because I wasn't sure anybody was going to volunteer. So I thought ahead, Carrie. Carrie, our worship leader, I knew he could do it. So would you welcome Carrie? <laughs> Carrie's going to help me out. Carrie is going to play the part of Potiphar, okay? <laughs> and, so, and so so, get this story. You know, Joseph has left her with his coat in her arms, and she's been screaming rape, and now time goes by. She's trying to think, what am I going to do? What am I going to say to, to Potiphar to get myself out of this mess? And so she comes home, and and so she would probably say, and so you repeat after me, she would probably say, Oh, Potiphar, no, I'm not supposed to go high. Oh, Potiphar, it's, it's, it's just awful what's happened. Oh, Potiphar, it's awful what's happened. Ah, oh, yes, yes, that's what I'm talking about. Okay, listen, that, that, Hebrew, that Hebrew hillbilly of yours tried to make sport of me. That Hebrew hillbilly of yours tried to make sport of me. Oh, Okay. Okay, and I am so glad that you're here to protect me. You're home to protect me. But I'm so glad you're home to protect me. All right, yes, all right. Let's give it up, okay. Thank you, thank you. I mean, you can picture what this is like. This is Potiphar. He's the the leading military guy in Egypt. He has to be angry when she says, you know, listen, this is what happened. And so what what do we read here in Genesis 39, verse 20? So Joseph's master took, uh, took him and he put him in prison. Now remember, the Hebrew word there for prison, again, is the word pit. Now, up to this point, we have picked up lots of great lessons along the way that I want to make sure that you're capturing. So let me review some of those lessons. One of those is all of us is somewhere in the pit process. Okay, write that down. All of us is somewhere in the pit process. You may be pre-pit, okay, and don't even know it. Sometimes you don't even know it, but you may be pre-pit, you could be in the pit. For yeah, I'm down here in the pit with all you pitiful people. Okay. I'm in the, oh, well you're in the pit or post pit. You've just come out of a pit. But all of us is somewhere in the pit process. Now, I don't know what kind of pit you, are. Uh, could be falling into. I don't know what kind of pit you're in. I don't know. There's different kinds of pits. Some of you may be in the pit of despair because a loved one has died, or there was some senseless or tragic or untimely death of somebody that you really cared for. You're in the pit of despair. Some of you are in the pit that Joseph was in, the pit of betrayal, and the pit of envy because somebody was angry, they were jealous of you, they were envious of you, and so they kicked you into the pit. They betrayed you. Some of you may be in the pit of your own making, and, and you've, you've dug your own pit, okay? Regardless of what kind of pit, why you're there, let me just encourage you stop digging, okay? When you get in the pit, stop digging. Hey, do you, do you know anyone who's ever been in a pit, again, for, for whatever reason, that they just want to keep digging? They just want to keep digging and make it worse and make it worse, and, and, and they get more and more angry, and so they're, they're digging. They, they get become more and more bitter, and so they keep digging. They, they, they're going to get even, so they keep digging, or they're blaming God, and they keep digging, and they're running from God, and they keep digging, and people dig, and they dig, and they dig deep holes. And they never get out of their pit. And so stop digging. All of us are somewhere in the pit process. But we have to understand this about the pit. And write this down. The pit is not a place to. It's a place through. And that's so important. Because sometimes people get in their pit. And to them it becomes a place to. They've arrived at their pit and they've come to the conclusion that I'm going to be in this pit for the rest of my life and nothing's ever going to change. And pity poor me. And I guess I was just born for the pit. I guess I was made for the pit. And and so it's in the pit I'll stay, it's in the pit I'll die. And all of life becomes this pity party. No. No, God did not intend for the pit to be a place that you go to and spend the rest of your life. God intended that the pit be a place through. It's a place through, not a place to. Why? Well, write this down. Because in the pit, God is preparing us for what he's prepared for us. This is so important to understand. And many people miss it, but, but in the pit, because it's in the pit, you can't see what God wants for you. In the pit, you just, it, it's difficult to look up and to look over, and you can't see that as many times in the pit that God is preparing us for what he's prepared for you. He has something better for you. He has something in store for you, but you can't always see it in the pit, so you have to know it in your heart that in the pit he's preparing us for what he's prepared for. So I, just, I love that whole idea that God takes these, these setbacks and he, them, he uses them as setups for comebacks. And so he can take that pit, he can take the setback, and he can use it for a comeback. But in order for that to happen, you've got to have the right pit perspective. You've got to have the right pit perspective when you're in the pit. If you don't have the right pit perspective, you're not going to see things clearly. So what do I mean when I say have the right pit perspective? What I mean is when you're in the pit, you can look down and you can look around and you can be frustrated and you can worry. Or when you're in the pit, you can look up with a sense of great anticipation that God has more in store, that he's preparing you for something. When I talk about having the right pit perspective, what I mean is you can ask why this and why me and instead ask the question, what's next? What's next, God? What do you have in store for me? Which leads me to the last lesson I want you to just be reminded of. And that is God never leaves us alone in the pit. It's important to know that. God never leaves us alone in the pit. Not only does he not leave us alone, he's there with us. He sees he cares, he's aware, he's with you, and he's even for you in the pit. And we see that in the life of Joseph. Sometimes we think that when we choose to follow Jesus that we, we get to avoid all of the pits of life. No, we don't. But even in the pits, God is there and he cares. What's interesting, you know, Joseph is actually, he's in pit number two right now. Uh, his jealous brothers uh, betrayed him and kicked him in pit number one. They ripped off his Gucci robe and kicked him in the pit. Now, um, Potiphar's uh, wife has ripped off his robe, his coat, and kicked him in pit number two. So let's pick it up right here in Genesis 39, verse 20. But while Joseph was there, in the prison, the Lord was with him. Everybody say the Lord was with him. The Lord was with him. He showed him kindness and granted him favor in the eyes. Everybody say eyes. Eyes. In the eyes of the prison warden. Remember last week we said, remember people are watching you when you're in the pit, especially if you claim to be a person who follows Jesus, people are watching you. And so And so he found favor in the eyes of the prison warden. Did you know you can be successful in the pit? Even though you're in the pit, you can be successful. And and the reason I say that is because success has nothing to do with, with a profit and loss. It has everything to do with proximity. Even in the pit, because God is with you, you can still be successful, even in the pit. Because it has to do with proximity. How close are you staying to God while you're in the pit? Let's go to Genesis 39 verse 22. So the warden put Joseph in charge of all of those held in the prison. And he was made responsible for all that was done there. The warden paid no attention to anything under Joseph's care. Because the Lord was with Joseph and he gave him success in whatever he did. Remember last week we talked about coming under the authority structures in our life. Here again, we see it in Joseph. Initially, Joseph was under the authority structure of Potiphar, and he submitted himself to that authority. Obviously, he didn't have a lot of choice, but he submitted himself to that authority. But he had the choice in whether or not he was going to be faithful and be trustworthy and dependable and do his best and honor God because he knew his ultimate authority was God. Here again we find him again once again under the authority structure of the warden. And again he's a trustworthy person and because he is again he's finding favor in the eyes of his authority structure. What I'm saying to you is this, all of us come under a, an authority structure. All of us come under some authority whether it's a coach or a teacher or a spouse or a pastor or, or, or whatever it is, we all come under some authority because ultimately we are under God's authority. And what Joseph understood, a very important principle, is that until we learn to get under what God has placed over us, you'll never get over what God wants to place under you. It's so important that we learn that. And I watch people, especially in our culture today, they they rebel against authority, they resist authority, they disrespect authority. And and there's no sense of responsibility or respect toward authority. And and it stunts people, it keeps people from growing, because until you learn to get under what God's placed over you, you'll never get over what God wants to place under you. And Joseph understood that principle and he lived it very, very well. So let's continue in the story. We come to chapter 40, and now we're introduced to two of the big heavy hitters in in Pharaoh's court. Sometime later, the cupbearer and the baker of the king of Egypt offended their master, the king of Egypt. Pharaoh was angry with his two officials, the chief cupbearer and the chief baker. And he put them in custody in the house of the captain of the guard in the same prison where Joseph was confined. Let's talk about the cupbearer. Who, who was the cupbearer? Kind of a cool job. Um, the cupbearer was uh, the wine taster. He was the wine taster. Now, it's different than wine tasters today. I mean, we live in, in wine country USA, right? Willamette Valley. Anybody here ever take a wine tour, tasting tour? Don't worry, you're not gonna, you're a sinner. You're a sinner. <laughs> You just some of you are going, <laughs> you know, it's different here. I mean, you had Napa Valley and Willamette and Valley, and, and, oh, there's a wine shop over there advertising wine tasting. There's a, a vineyard over there, and so you go taste the Merlots and the Cab's and the Rieslings and all this stuff. Well, that's, that's the picture that comes to mind when you think of wine tasting, Okay. This dude, much different story, much different story. The wine taster, the reason the Pharaoh needed a wine taster was in case somebody was on a fast track to the throne. And so his job was to uh, taste the wine and to taste the food to make sure nobody had you know, stuck, uh, snuck some little, little white powder in there or something. Because had they done so, then, you know, it would be bye-bye king. You know, he's gone. So, so in this case, if you have a wine taster and, and somebody messed with it, it's like bye-bye cupbearer and long live the king. And so that's the wine taster. And then there was the baker. The baker was another very important person in, in the king's uh, uh, entourage. So, so what did the baker do? He baked. Okay. He, he baked. That's what he did. It's not a trick question. He baked. And so we don't know what they did, but somehow or another, they messed up. You know, maybe the wine, I can picture, maybe the wine taster, you know, uncorked the bottle and it hit Pharaoh in the face, or maybe the baker burnt the cookies. I don't, I don't know. But whatever they did, it angered Pharaoh, and he puts them in prison. And so you come now to Genesis 40 verse 4, so the captain of the guard assigned them to Joseph and he attended them. In your life notes, write this down. Here's a principle. God grants us positions in life not for affluence, but for influence. God grants you and me positions in life not for affluence, but for influence. You know, I'm talking to a lot of different people here who have all kinds of different jobs. Some of you are school teachers, some of you are doctors, some of you are lawyers, some of you are airline pilots, some of you are are electricians, some are plumbers, some are coaches. Whatever you do to make money, you think, well, I had this job to make money. Well, yes and, and no. God can give you money however he chooses to. If you and I can learn to switch that and to recognize that God has given me my position, whatever it happens to be, not for affluence, but for influence, then you and I can make a greater influence for the kingdom because of the position that he's given to us. That's what we see in Joseph's life. Even in prison, he's making this huge impact on all of the people there because he recognizes that he's there for a purpose. Now, some people might think, well, Joseph, he sure knew how to kiss up to people. I mean, look at him. He's a slave. Now he's like running the household. He's in the prison, and now he's like running the prison. He sure knew how to kiss up to people. He knew how to suck up to people in authority to get to where he was. No, it had nothing to do with kissing up to anybody. If there's anything you learn about Joseph, Joseph was learning that in the, in the pits of life that you need to stay close to God. That's what he was learning. In fact, write this down. Joseph was, was learning that life demands a consistent relationship with God. Life demands a consistent relationship with God. We sometimes think that this story is compacted in just a short amount of time. Joseph was about 17 when he was sold into slavery. It took about 30 days to get to, down to Egypt. And then he goes on to the slave auction, and then he's bought by Potiphar. And then he, you know, next week he becomes like, you know, in charge of the household. And then in a couple of days Potiphar's wife notices him, and then you know, she lies about him. And then you know, he gets kicked into prison. And we think, well, that, that all took about maybe six months maybe a year or something. No, at this junction in the story, don't think a year. Think, think more like 3,647 days. Think 521 weeks. Think 10 years. A decade. A decade has gone by at this juncture in the story. A decade. 10 years. Think about it for just a moment. 10 years of faithfulness. 10 years of endurance, 10 years of trusting God, 10 years of believing God has something in store, 10 years of being a, a person who could be counted on, 10 years. People bail way, way too soon in our culture today. People throw in the towel way too fast. I mean, I think you would probably agree with me that commitment is in, is in shortage today, in fact, uh, George Barna, some years ago, he did a study, and uh, what way what, what commitment used to be the, like the number one value in our culture anymore. You know, it hardly even makes the the, the the list. And now it's flexibility. And I've got to do what's best for me. I've got to keep my options open. I've got, I just got to look out for number one. And and so commitment is gone. Lack of loyalty today. And so what I'm showing you is that Joseph lived a consistent life before God, even though he was unfairly treated by his brothers and even though he was falsely accused by Potiphar's wife. You know, some people, when life is going good, it's like, go God. Yeah, go God. You are so awesome. I can't wait to get to church and worship and just lift my hands up to you. And you are so awesome. How great is our God. How great is our God. And it's go God. But when the bottom falls out and and you find yourself in the pit, a lot of times people, they bail. They walk away. And I'm not trying to make light of your situation because if you read a lot of the stuff I read about what happens to people in this church, there's some difficult circumstances that people get into and, and, and have come upon them. And so I am not trying to make light of your circumstance. But what happens all too often in our culture is that we were too quick to walk out on God. Ten years has gone by, and it doesn't look like things are changing for Joseph. But he chose to be faithful. Now, where was he learning this? Where was he learning to be faithful? Write this down. Joseph was learning consistency in the U of C, in the university of character. In the university of character. I get so tired of of hearing when people come to a crossroads moment in their life. And, and they, they choose the wrong path and they justify it by saying, Well, God just wants me to be happy. God just wants me to be happy. I got ready to say something that I'm glad I didn't say. I'm tired of hearing that. God just wants me to be happy. Listen, God is more concerned about your character than he is your happiness. It's very apparent with Joseph that God was more concerned about his character than he was his happiness. And it's in this pit, it's in these pits that that he's learning character. He's developing his character. And so as the story of Joseph continues to unfold, we we find that now Joseph is assigned the care of the cupbearer and the baker, And so, one night, they both have dreams. And the next morning, when they wake up, and through the day, they're kind of distraught. They're downcast. And Joseph looks at them and sees that they are. And he asks them, why are you so downcast? Why are you so discouraged? And they say, well, we had these dreams, and we don't have anyone who can interpret them for us. And you would think Joseph wouldn't touch that with a 10-foot pole. Because the last time he interpreted a dream, where did it land him? In the pit, right? And it's like, well, you know, you, you know what? You can do with your dream. I don't, I don't do dreams anymore. But it looks like something's changing because back when Joseph interpreted the dream, he was about 17 years old, and he was cocky, and he was arrogant, and he was proud, and it's like, I'm cool, I'm going to rule, I'm too cool for school, and all you're going to bow down to me. And that's the kind of attitude he had. Well, now, fast forward, I mean, about these 10 years or so, he's becoming a little bit wiser. He's developing some character. And and now it's not about him. It's really about God. If you go to verse 8 in chapter 40, he, he asks the question, well, do not interpretations belong to God? Tell me your dreams. And what he's doing is he's giving God the glory. He's saying, I can't do this, but God can. Sometimes, you know what happens in the pit is you and I have to be broken down before we can break out and break through. And I think God, what he's doing in all of this this process is he's breaking Joseph down of whatever it was he needed to be broken down. Arrogance, pride, ego, self-centeredness, self-sufficiency. He was breaking him down and preparing him for something very great. Psalm 119 gives us this same principle where the psalmist says, My troubles turned out for all of the best. They forced me to learn from your textbook. You see, you and I get the benefit of living on this side of Joseph. And we know that he's going to rise to a position of extremely high power. He's going to be the second person in the nation. And so a very, very powerful person. And God knows this, and so he's having to prepare him for that because, because whenever you put power, that you put that kind of power and that kind of prestige and that kind of position in the hands of people who lack integrity and character, it's dangerous. It's very dangerous. That's the only political statement I'll make today <laughs> or in this series. And you can take that wherever you want to. And so many, here's, here's the lesson. Many times a person's talent will carry them places that their character can't keep them. Many times people, they're really good at what they do, but they haven't developed the character along the way. God needed to develop Joseph's character. And you could see it changing in him just in the way he responded to the baker and to the uh, cupbearer. In, in chapter 40, verse 7, he asked them, why are your faces so sad today? You see, God can take your deepest pain, your deepest pit, and he can use it to work through you to help other people who may be going through a similar experience. That's what Paul says in 2 Corinthians. Praise God, who always gives us comfort. He comforts us when we are in trouble so that we can share the same comfort with others in trouble. So write this down. God never wastes a pitfall. He never wastes a pitfall. Joseph's situation was so much worse than theirs. They were in prison for probably some inconsequential act. Who knows? You know, For some reason, Pharaoh got his britches in a bunch, and he got upset, kicked him in prison. Joseph is there because Potiphar's wife lied about him falsely accused him, and now he's in prison. But in in spite of his own pitiful situation, he saw the sadness in their eyes, and he offered to help them. And, And so you can see that character changing. It wasn't about him. And so Joseph interprets the dream and he tells them that in three days, Potiphar is, is going, to, he's going to come. And, and, and he says to the cupbearer, he says, uh, Cupbearer, uh, he's going to show you more love, my brother. And then uh, the baker overhears him giving the interpretation and telling him the news. And so he's assuming or maybe hoping that he'll also get good news. But he looks at the baker and he says, I'm sorry, but, but you're toast. Just checking to see if you're listening. Okay. Somebody went. Was that a joke or was that not a joke? Can I get some laughter from somebody? <laughs> and so he looks at him and says, you're toast." I mean, that's it. And so, sure enough, what happened three days later? Knock came to the door. And um, they were released, and the cupbearer was uh, promoted, and the baker was put to death. And then you come to the end of chapter 40 and the chapter ends with these heartbreaking words in verse 23. The chief cupbearer, however, did not remember Joseph and he forgot him. Did not remember and he forgot him. And so because of that little oversight, he spent two more years in prison. Disappointed and forgotten. Now, It's interesting to me that the story of Joseph, I think, is so much like our story. How many times have you been disappointed or forgotten? How many times has has somebody lied about you or somebody has abandoned you or somebody spoke ill of you, somebody falsely accused you? Somebody forgot about you. You see, what, what Joseph was able to do, even in this situation, he continued to trust God. Because he knew that even though people will oftentimes disappoint you and forget you, God never will. God won't do that. God God doesn't leave you. And so I I want to give you this final lesson. Here it is. God's clearest messages are often heard in the pit. Again, we don't know why. But for some reason, God allowed for Joseph to stay in the pit for two more years. Two more years he had to stay. But he continued to trust God. I don't know how long you'll be in your pit. I don't know. But I do know this. Whenever you find yourself in a pit, you've got one of two choices. And I encourage you to write these down. You can become disillusioned And I see people do that. They become disillusioned. And what I mean by that is they become disillusioned with people. And they stop trusting people. They stop loving people. They were hurt once. Somebody betrayed them once. I'm never going to let that happen again. And they stop loving people. I don't mean they stop loving a person. I mean they just stop loving people. They stop caring for people. They become cynical. And they think everybody else is out to get them. And you trust no one ever again. That's not a good way to live life. And so you can become disillusioned with people. Not only that, and, and worse than that, you can become disillusioned with God. And again, I don't know your situation, and I'm not trying to make light of your situation, but I see people become disillusioned with God because the pit becomes so deep, and it becomes so difficult, and it becomes so hard to bear that they come to the conclusion, God, you don't care, and I'm I'm not even sure you're there. I'm not even sure you're real. And they walk, and they leave, and I'm telling you, that's not the solution. And so don't, don't become disillusioned. Here's the second option. We can become determined. We can become determined. We can become determined that I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, to, yes, I'm in this pit, but I'm determined that I'm going to believe God. I'm determined that I'm going to trust God. I'm determined that God is changing something in me. God is building something in me. God is preparing something in me. He's preparing something greater than what I have now. I'm determined to believe that God has a better future for me than even my past, and I'm determined to believe that God is going to rescue me out of this pit. I'm determined I'm going to trust God. That's your choice. You can become disillusioned or you can become determined. I hope that you'll become determined and that you'll be determined to trust God and to hold closely to Him. When life hands you a pit and you're disappointed and you're forgotten i'm going to ask if you'd bow your head and as we close out today i would encourage you during this final moment if if you would if you're in a pit today if you would just turn to god and say god would you help me navigate this pit god would you help me to see clearly in this pit Father, would you help me to trust you? Would you help me to believe that one day I'll be out of this pit and that you have prepared something great for me? And trust him that he's with you, that he's for you, even in the pit. Some of you here today have never given your heart to Jesus. You've never crossed the line of faith and you've never opened your heart to him and surrendered yourself to him. If God is speaking to your heart today, and I believe that he probably is to some of you, to ask Jesus to be your Savior and Lord, if that's your desire today, the Bible says that if you call upon the name of the Lord, you will be saved. If that's your desire today, would you pray with me this prayer? And I'm going to ask all of you who have ever made the decision to follow Jesus if you also would join me in this prayer. Father in heaven, today I just thank you for Jesus. Jesus, thank you for loving me. Thank you for dying on the cross for me. Today I humble myself before you. And I ask you to forgive me of my sin. I choose to follow you. I pray this in your name. Amen.